0: You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us.
1: It's great to be together. Happy Easter. Um, As is our custom, on Easter, uh, I like to have a few um, scary bunnies for us. Uh, Can you connect this guy? Okay, so these are a few favorites from last year or a couple years ago Uh, those are my two favorites from previous issues but we have some new ones uh, today that my daughter Cora helped pick out this was her favorite Uh, I don't think this is working I don't know what I'm cursed by this thing so uh, that was Cora it's funny too because Cora actually grew up having a real fear of Easter Bunny that one looks like a kind of a female Easter bunny, maybe. You know, it's got the, I'm not sure. Here's another, uh, that's another classic old one, you know, from the old time. I love the look on those kids' faces. I love how the girl is still trying to smile. Uh, that one is just pure scary. Uh, Cora found that one. That one. Here's the last one. Uh, My favorite about this one is this little boy down here. The look on his face is so awesome. Uh, You know, we had a very real debate in our family uh, on uh, Thursday night, I think it was, or maybe, maybe a different night, I can't remember, but we were around the dinner table and we were debating, is the Easter Bunny small like a bunny? Or is the Easter Bunny human size? Because that has a lot to do with how scary the Easter Bunny is, right? <laughs> my daughter always thought the Easter Bunny is like life-size man, because that's you know what she'd seen. But some of my other kids thought, no, the Easter Bunny is re- the real Easter Bunny is small. So you can go home and debate that with your family if you like. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be looking at the, the book of 1 John. If you want to go ahead and turn over there in your Bible or on your phone, if you have a, a paper Bible, if you need a Bible, there's some right back there at the table. If you'd like to, to read on, we're just going to look at one passage today from 1 John chapter 1 um, and uh, go to the next slide. I, I, uh, the, the title of the sermon today is there's nothing like new and uh, everybody loves new stuff. Uh, everybody loves that smell of—at least everybody I've talked to—loves that smell of new shoes. Don't you love that? I remember when I was a kid. Some people don't. You don't love new shoe smell? I love. I don't know if it's the glue or what it is. I remember when my grandma would come into town, we get to go buy new shoes. It was awesome. And of course, the new car smell—that's what I heard over there. I remember when Dust and I first kind of got our our real jobs, and we were able to buy a new car. I, what a what a feeling that was to to purchase a new vehicle and we just wanted that smell to last forever you know but unfortunately it doesn't and that was the last time we bought a new car (laughs) it's always been used ever since then but it was fun uh uh, so, so we're talking today about about the experience of something new the experience of new something that's fresh and new and never happened before and then passing that experience on to other people because Resurrection, why, we're, why we celebrate Easter is because Jesus, we believe, is the, Paul calls him the firstborn from among the dead. He's the first to have resurrected. His, he lived a, an earthly life. He had a human body just like us. He died this horrible death on the cross. If you're not familiar with that, uh, most people are, but if you're not, it's the, the story is right there in the Bible, the way he died as a sacrifice for us to, to pay the penalty for our sins so we could be right with God. But then it says the Lord raised him from the dead on the third day, something Jesus predicted would happen. But he didn't come back just like a like an ordinary human before. He didn't just come back to life. He came back with a new body, a resurrected body. Jesus said that 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 we, when we someday in the resurrection, we will be like angels. And so Jesus's new body is like the angels. He's able to come in and out of of our reality, but and, and he has a physical body. He was able to eat food and and uh, and drink. Uh, Wine, and you know he broke bread with them. He ate with them. He ate a it, one passage says he ate a piece of broiled fish. That's a little little detail there that shows you the credibility of this story. And John says that he and the other uh, the other apostles experienced this reality themselves. And so, if we look here in one John chapter one, one John chapter one verse one, it says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Some of you know the word is, is, a, is a, a, a phrase that G, uh, John applies to Jesus. And the New Testament was written in Greek. It wasn't written in English. You probably know it was written in Greek. And the, the word there is logos. And it's a deep, much deeper word than our English word for word. You know, when you think of the word word, I know this is getting confusing. Uh, when you think of the word word you just think of you know an english word but but logos has a much richer meaning it means like rationale or reasoning or decision or or kind of the the, the almost the mind so it's like the mind of god became a human does that make sense and, and when, when in, in john one the gospel of john and we're in first john if you didn't know the difference the first john is way towards the end if you didn't find it already uh, but but in the letter from john the apostle you know he uses the same word as in gospel of john logos which is god became god's rational his reasoning his his intellect his mind became this person his, his personality became a man and that's who jesus is so anyway continuing on verse verse two the life appeared we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. You know the the, the idea of this, that we see in this passage is that there is meant to be this passing on of faith and this passing on of the story of Jesus and His resurrection. Uh, the the apostles John and as he, who's writing here and Peter and the others uh, go back one slide. I want to stay on there for a minute. I'll, I'll get to that. So. Um, they experienced this them for themselves. They said, we looked at. we Our hands have touched, it says in verse 1. But then he says, this we proclaim. Right? He says, the life appeared. we've seen it, we've testified to it, and now we proclaim it to you. So there's this passing on of faith. So everyone here in this gathering here today, celebrating Easter together, is somewhere in that, you know, in that story. Either you believe Jesus really rose from the dead, or you don't believe he really rose from the dead. It, it's kind of, it's either or. You know, it's not it's kind of like being almost pregnant you know it's either you're pregnant or you're not pregnant you know either you believe Jesus rose from the dead or you don't believe he rose from that's a crazy thing that happened you know that never ever happened before and so either that did happen or 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 you you can be not sure about it but that still means you don't believe it right and there's no judgment on if you don't believe it it's a it's a kind of crazy thing to believe and a lot of people didn't believe in it and as we'll see in a minute it's not like resurrection was something that happened all the time back in the first century, but now in our sophisticated scientific world, oh yeah, we're kind of past that. This was crazy to them. His own believers, his own followers, he told them, I am going to raise from the dead. And they still didn't believe it. You know, when women came back, the women were the first ones to go to the tomb and uh, they, they were going there to, to, to prepare spices for Jesus' body and, and, a, and a, uh, the, the uh, Jewish ritual would be you would wrap the body in spices and that, that wasn't able to be done on Friday evening when he was taken down from the cross because it was the Sabbath uh, starting and so they had to, to deal with the burial quickly. So they were going Sunday morning to the grave to be able to, to follow Jewish tradition but they didn't know how they were going to do it. Who's going to roll away this stone because there was this... It, he was laid in a rich man's tomb which had a large stone that would be kind of go down a slot and cover the, the 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 whole the entrance to the the grave and so the these women are like how are we going to get in there to put these spices we don't know well maybe we can get some strong men to move the stone away we know there's a whole legion of soldiers there a whole uh, or a whole guard of soldiers you know which was probably 10 to 12 soldiers there maybe they can move it away but then they get there the stone is rolled away the tomb is empty and th- where is he where is Jesus but when they go back and tell the followers, they don't believe him. You remember that story? But then he appears to them, and so now they believe. But there was one who didn't, wasn't there when, they, when Jesus appeared to them and was with them. You guys remember his name? Thomas. Yeah, for, he's forever cursed with this one thing he did, you know? And he did the same thing that you or I would have done. You know, we call him Doubting Thomas. I mean, if your friends, think of your friends right now. Think of your best friends. And you're, you're like together playing cards or something. Or, or, or whatever it is you do with your friends watching a movie, and they tell you, we saw, you, know, you have another friend who died, and they, you, they say, we saw him, or we saw her. She came back from the grave. What would you think? You know, think of your friends. You'd be like, no. Either you're playing a joke on me, and you're all in on it, or you're all crazy, you know? So Thomas is like, unless I put my hand in his side, like I, I put my hand in that hole that the spear made to, to make sure he was dead. Unless I put my hands in his, in the holes in his hands, I, I'm not going to believe it. he really rose from the dead. Of course, what happened shortly thereafter? He showed up and, 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 and Jesus had heard this somehow or it had been reported to him. And he says, hey, Thomas, OK, here it is. Thomas is probably like, no, 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 no. I didn't mean, no, come on, here it is. Can you imagine that scene what would have that been like maybe the other guys were like ha ha we told you Thomas <laughs> you know giving us a hard time but I think that's that's the kind of thing that that uh, that John had in mind when he said our hands have touched so we're going to look at three things in this uh, in this scripture our hands have touched number one we proclaim to you the eternal life this passing on of the faith and then number three so we may have fellowship with us so that you may have fellowship with us number one Our hands have touched. You know, resurrection is real stuff. It's a real physical story. He physically rose from the dead. And because of that, we have a future that is... If you're a believer in Jesus and you believe that he really did raise from the dead, you believe that there will be a physical restoration of all things. The world, the Bible says, and the the Jews believe that the, the world is subject to decay. Things are falling apart all around us. And yet there is a time when God himself will make all things new. He will renew all things. And there's a renewal that's already going on now. And Jesus raising from the dead points to that renewal of all things that is coming and is already happening. But it's real. It's, it's not just figurative. It's not just, oh yeah, Jesus rose in their hearts and in their, in their minds. No, he, ne- the world never would have been changed by something like that. It's the fact that he really did physically raise from the dead. The resurrection is real stuff. And it is possible to be even a scientist. In our sophisticated world, it's possible to be a scientist and still believe strongly in the resurrection. So on our Facebook page, I've posted three testimonies of three scientists. And these are nuclear physicists and mathematicians and, and a genome-dealing smart people. You know what I mean? These are, <laughs> these are top. Scientists that have a testimony of why they believe the resurrection. So, if you want to, you know, we didn't have time today to read the whole thing. So, I put it on our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com/sobaychurch. Sobay Church. Um, if you want to read those, but I'll just read a couple excerpts from them. So, the first one is uh, this guy Ian Hutchinson from uh, MIT. You know, you got to be smart to go to MIT, much less be a professor of nuclear science and engineering at MIT. He says, it does not take modern science to tell us that humans don't rise from the dead. People knew that perfectly well in the first century, just as they knew that the blind from birth don't as adults regain their sight or water doesn't instantly turn into wine. So he's just saying that, yeah, it wasn't, it's not like, oh yeah, they believed that stuff back then, but we're so sophisticated nowadays. He's like, this was crazy idea back then. That's why it changed the world. That's why it overthrew the entire Roman Empire, this group of people who had nothing. This, 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 this rabbi, this minister who had no possessions and he didn't form an army and he didn't build a, a, a cathedral. He just made friends and he passed on this teaching, but because he rose from the dead physically, the whole world was changed. Another, uh, another testimony of a scientist, John Lennox. This guy is professor of mathematics at Oxford. Again, Oxford is pretty hard to get into and even harder probably to teach for. I love this guy. I've read a couple of his books, John Lennox. He says, the evidence of the empty tomb, the character of the witnesses, the explosion of Christianity out of Judaism, and the testimony of millions today are inexplicable without the resurrection. As Holmes said to Watson, you know, Sherlock Holmes, how often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, Whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. So he quotes uh, uh, Watson to, uh, to give evidence. And then this last one, I like this last one. This is uh, Joshua Swamadas. He's uh, uh, at uh, George Washington University, assistant professor of laboratory and genomic medicine. But he goes through these seven pieces of big scientific evidence for the resurrection. And I'm not going to go through all those. But then, then, after he goes through the scientific evidence, I like what he says. He says, some of the evidence here is established by scientific methods. For example, radiocarbon dating demonstrates that Isaiah 53's prediction that Jesus see the light of light after dying was written hundreds of years before his birth. What he's talking about there, and you can research this on your own, there's a, there's a book in the Old Testament called Isaiah. It's prophecy. And in Isaiah 53, the end of chapter 52 beginning of chapter 53 it, it gives this description this perfect description of Jesus and what he did and what he went through on the cross and it, and it even predicts that he would be cut off from the land of the living and yet he would see the light of life and, and, and have a longer days so it predicts that he would die and it predicts that he would be resurrected among other things it says about Jesus that are all specifically predicted and if you look in any Uh, Jewish person's Bible to this day, any Torah, it's not like that was changed by the Christians. You know what I mean? You can't go back and change something that's been around for hundreds of years. You can't go back and change oh, we're going to make Moby Dick have a different ending, so we're going to change all the copies of Moby Dick. You know, you can't do that, right? So Isaiah 53 is it it has this perfect prediction of Jesus, and yet it's hundreds of years before he came. Um, but, But, so he gives that as one example. He says however, the question of Jesus gently beckons us from out of science's limits, isn't that true, into a reality where love, beauty, goodness, and relationships are real. In the question of the empty tomb, science itself reaches its hard limit. It points to something beyond itself. He's saying that you know, th- there, are, there are things that are true that even, even the scientifically sophisticated accept that are hard to understand if you just have a materialistic worldview. And we're talking about love, we're talking about beauty, we're talking about self-sacrifice, we're talking about relationship. These kinds of things Darwin doesn't give an answer for. And they, they try to come up with ways to kind of explain it, but there's not good explanations for these deeper things. And so he's saying that the resurrection points to those realities, those things that are beyond science. He says, the question of the resurrection is more like an opportunity to fall in love than a scientific inquiry. There is evidence, but the resurrection cannot be studied dispassionately. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it reorders everything. Just like falling in love, it changes our view of the world. So he's saying that if you really do believe this happened, it's a transformative thing in your life. It's going to affect the way that you live and the choices that you make. If you really believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. If this is real stuff, it has real ramifications in our lives. Uh, there's another scientist who's a friend of mine some of you some of you guys know named john oakes and uh, he's a scientist from uh from uh, san diego Uh, we have some guests from san diego hello um and uh he he's he uh, was a professor there of chemistry for a long time but he in his retirement he's just retired from his job as a professor of chemistry and so he's decided he instead of you know uh relaxing in his retirement and and playing golf and Traveling, whatever retired people like to do. He's going to go lead a church. Uh, isn't that a crazy idea, you know, uh, to do in your retirement? So he's moving to Bakersfield from San Diego to Bakersfield. Kind of equal, you know, beautiful places to live, I suppose. <laughs> uh, moving to Bakersfield to lead, a, lead our church there. We have a sister congregation there in Bakersfield. Uh, because he's so convinced of the resurrection. As a scientist, he's so convinced it's changed his life. and he's gonna, He wants to dedicate his retirement years to serving the church. Isn't that cool? I love that. Uh, the second thing we're going to look at is is the, the second thing John says, which is we proclaim to you the eternal life. Uh, remember that famous line from um, Terminator? Uh, Come with me if you want to live. Uh, I can't remember that guy's name that says it to uh, to Sarah Connor. Uh, in the first movie but he says come with me if you want to live that's really what, what John is talking about he says we have found the way to have eternal life we have found the answer to being able to, 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 to have our lives matter eternally to have eternal existence and it makes everything new and that's really why we're here today that's what we're trying to do here in this gathering here is we're trying to continue to proclaim that eternal life we're trying to continue to testify to this way um, if you're visiting with us today, this is a, something totally new for us. We've never met in this space before. Um, we're, gonna be, we're starting a new church here in this space. Uh, we'll we'll, we'll kind of give you more information about that in a minute. But this is the first time we've ever met here. So thank you for kind of coming along with us on something totally new uh, that we're doing this. But why are we doing this? Because we want others to know this way of eternal life. Uh, we want others to, to follow. The choice I talked about a minute ago, we want others to choose to believe. And to choose to allow that resurrection to eternally impact their life and the way that you pass that on the the bible teaches is not just by sermons and 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 and, uh and services like this it's really in one another relationships so jesus spoke to these crowds right and and he he said all these things but what was his real ministry it was this group of friends that was around him all the time they call they're called the apostles or the disciples and when Jesus left, he said, now you guys who are my disciples, and he, he had a few hundred disciples when he left, or disciple means student or follower, and he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So the, Jesus' plan to win the world, plan to transform society and, and, and change all these things that we see. When we look around the world, we see all these things that are so wrong that people do to each other. The way to change that is, is one by one. Someone who has been transformed by the resurrection Passing that on to someone else, in, in friendship, in, in, in a relationship, in, in, in discipleship. In, in fact, the word disciple is the word the Bible uses for a Christian. The word Christian is almost not even in the Bible, strangely. Only three times, and, and only one defines that time. And that one time where, where it's used that it defines it, it, it's just another label for disciple. But the word disciple is in the Bible 270 plus times. So many, many times this this idea of being a student of Jesus. So in this fellowship, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to kind of, let's return to discipleship in this original model Jesus had. What does it mean to be a disciple? So you might even hear hear us throw that term around, like being a disciple. That just means being a Christian, but a a biblical Christian. Because the word Christian has been so watered down nowadays. You know, people, we all know people who say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian after you know something horrible they've just done or whatever like not to be judgmental but you know what i mean somebody at the office it usually happens when you know somebody is maybe they're gossiping to you and they're swearing profanely and they tell you uh maybe they tell you a dirty joke and they're trying to kind of get you to go along and then you're like oh you know what i'm a christian and i don't really i'm trying to like like i you know i appreciate you trying to show me that on your phone but i'm a christian i'm trying not to look at that kind of stuff and then they go oh i'm a christian too you know oh yeah uh uh, bless the Lord, but, you know. Amen, brother. This is the day the Lord hath made, you know. And I kind of turn religious. We're we're trying to change that. We're trying to be Christians, like we're trying to be disciples. And uh, you know, we're not perfect. We mess up. Uh, a lot of us come from all kinds of, you know, you look around. We have a very diverse congregation, which is cool, and people come from all kinds of different backgrounds. But we're just trying to pass on what we've learned. And I wanted to show you a quick video, a three-minute video. It's a model of this. It's a it's a longer piece on 60 Minutes. I saw a week or two ago. I think the, original, the whole piece is 14 minutes. But I'm just gonna show you th- three minutes, but what this is is it's a, uh, it's a prison where they're trying a new uh, way of trying to rehabilitate prisoners who are in there and they're using mentoring they're using discipleship basically like an older prisoner trying to pass along to a younger prisoner what kinds of things he's learned and they they try to make it it, it this place where people are incentivized to change not just try to do their time but to change and be transformed so when they get out they're different it's a really really inspiring story i when i watched the whole thing i literally was in tears from 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 just the story of, of how these men's lives are transformed but I just want to show you a three-minute clip uh, from that, and, and you'll see a younger guy who is one of the guys who's being mentored, and you'll, you'll see a little bit older guy. He doesn't look that older, but he, he's one of the guys who is mentoring this younger guy. And then we'll, we'll kind of make some conclusions, and we'll wrap up. I'll go ahead and play that.
2: To prepare the prisoners for life outside Cheshire's Walls, Warden Erfie tapped some unlikely helpers, respected older prisoners serving life sentences. They're now trained to serve as mentors for the young men in true. Ishkar Howard was one of the first
3: to sign on. Why? All, All we knew was we was gonna try and stop these young cats from becoming us. Cause you don't want this. Ishkar Howard shot
2: and killed two men in a fight over drug turf in New Haven. In prison, he assaulted inmates and staff and spent a total of five and a half years in solitary confinement before deciding to take a different path.
3: If there's one thing I'm an expert in, it's screwing up. I have a PhD in consequences. I can tell you what tear gas tastes like. I can tell you what it feels like to watch your family, see you get sentenced to life without parole. And I can tell you the decisions I made to get to that. After that, the choice is yours.
2: Howard and 20 other lifers are like attentive fathers they enforce unit rules. During
3: the last evaluations recommended that you work on your attitude.
2: Working with staff they constantly monitor the young offenders behavior and assess their progress at regular feedback sessions.
3: I always try to encourage you to speak a little more because you have a lot of wisdom to give to your peers. Many
2: people outside of prison would think that someone who is in for life wouldn't necessarily be the kind of person you'd expect or want to be teaching you life lessons. So what have they done to
1: help you? They've helped me learn how to speak in a way that I can articulate my thoughts and emotions instead of just getting mad and wanting to hit something.
2: Chichiryu told us he has grown under their guidance. He's earned the right to warm visits with his family. I feel like everybody has a basic human decency. It's just that it has to be
1: nurtured to, to, to bring it out.
2: And that's what happens to you
3: in this program.
1: If you let it. If you let it. The
3: greatest gift is when they're telling me to my face that I'm not changing. And then five months later, be on their best behavior. You're in here for life. All right you could just sit
2: there and say to heck with all this so what are you getting out of this
3: redemption i don't have to die a waste i tell these guys all the time they give me purpose to live they give me something to leave behind
1: That part always really gets me. <clears throat> um, you know, I just appreciate how powerful it is to pass along something to someone else. You know, how moving that is. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's what we're a part of. That's what John was talking about. When he says, we've, we've seen this, our hands have touched it, our eyes have, uh, have seen it, our ears have heard it. We want to pass this on to you. And it gave purpose and meaning to the early Christians' lives. To pass on their faith. So if you're today, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a believer, you believe in Jesus, but it's not affecting your life or you're not passing that on to someone else uh, and you're not learning and growing yourself, then you're, you're, you're kind of stunted in your religion. And I remember being this way. I remember being, you know, I'm a Christian, but my life isn't transformed and I'm not changing. I don't have deep relationships. And it was a frustrating way to be because it's like I knew enough about God or I knew enough about the Bible to know that I was in sin all the time and I had no power to transform. And it was just a frustrating way to be, you know. But when I plugged into this idea of connection and relationships, connection with God, connections with other people, that was really transformative to, to go, okay, I, I'm going to give my life to something that has a greater purpose than just, you know, the mundane things that we live for. And so the last thing he says uh, in this passage is so that you may have fellowship with us. He says fellowship with us and fellowship with uh, God and with, with Jesus, his son. You know, th- th- that that when we are being used by God in other people's lives and when other God is using other people in our lives it it brings us into this this connection and the the word here again i'm going to give you one more greek word today uh koinonia which is that word for fellowship uh and and this word koinonia it, it means partnership or togetherness or there's a mutual benefaction uh like i benefit from this relationship and you benefit from this relationship we both benefit from this friendship that we have that's what being a Christian is. That's what the church is meant to be. A church is not a building that you go to. And it's not an event that you attend. A church is a group of people. That might be new to you or it might be old to you. But that's that's really the concept of the first century church. And what Jesus established was this group of people. Who are good friends with each other. And their lives have been tra- transformed by the resurrection. And, and it brings meaning. And it brings purpose. And it brings relationship. A lot of times we, we can form... Super tight relationships once you just start getting real about what's going on in your life and just talking. Because, face it, most people in our world are pretty lonely. Loneliness is kind of a universal thing that people feel. And I don't think social media has necessarily helped. You stay more connected, but what you're connected to is that person's, what they're putting out there, right? Of of, of their perfect time they had in wherever, Palm Springs in the hotel. And then you're like, oh man, I want to go to Palm Springs in a hotel. You know? You know, Betty's at the Coliseum. You know, oh man, I want to go to the Coliseum, Betty. <laughs> but you know, you just, so, so you don't, I mean, it's great. And, and Betty and I have a real relationship. So when I see it, it's like, yeah, it builds up our friendship. But so many people's friendships are so shallow. Do you know what I mean? And so there's a little loneliness. And we've been um, in our, our, we have a, this is a church of small groups. So most people are in a, in a group of, of people that get together with some regularity. So what we've been doing lately is the guys meet one week and go pray and then the next week the girls meet together and go pray so our group has been meeting uh at this park that overlooks the the city uh by uh uh, by by mark's house and and praying together but the first time we did it we hadn't gotten together for a while and so it was interesting how you heard in almost every guy's prayer and there was about six guys there that day uh, just this idea of loneliness and they were just praying about god it's so good just to connect with other guys i've just been feeling lonely i didn't even realize i had been feeling lonely or feeling alone and, uh, and, and so God doesn't mean us to be that way. We were meant to have connection with one another, right? We were meant to have deep friendships. And so we're going to be doing, in the, in the weeks ahead, when we meet in this space and, and with this group, um, we're going to be doing a, a, a series, a, a relationship series from the book, 1 John, the book that we're in right now. We're just going to kind of work our way through First John and look at these scriptural principles and then apply them to friendships, uh, this was karina's idea you know we, we should do something on friendships and appreciate uh, a number of people gave different ideas for uh, for different things that we should teach on but uh, that kind of came to the surface that like, a lot of people are feeling this we need to have better friendships and so it's amazing how when you put the teachings of jesus in practice just in everyday life it it makes for great great friendships and you might be feeling today like oh man i i i i have a lot of hurts and you know i, I don't really want to work on friendships well, that's okay. You know, you can take it at your own pace. Do you know what I mean? But, but the Bible, you've got to believe that the creator of the universe, he knows how to help us connect with one another. And the principles that he lays out in the scripture are going to transform, you know, the way you view friendships. Um, I'd also like to put it out there, too, what I talked about about discipleship getting the Bible open. Uh, that's what we're all about as well. Just we, We're not going to do an altar call today or I'm not going to ask you to say a prayer with me if you'd like to accept Christ or, or be saved. We just, When we read the scriptures, we see a, a much more robust way that people became Christians than that. It's not just, okay, I'm going to say a prayer with the pastor and okay, now I'm saved. Like People, it was more to it. And I can't really say more than just, when you get the Bible open and you read some of these scriptures, you go, oh, I see, there's more to it than that. And so that's what we do with people. We, we get together, we do some Bible studies, and, and, and just look at what does the Bible say about what it means to be a Christian, and what it means to be saved, or what it means to, 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 to follow Christ. And, and so we'd love to invite you to, 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 to read the Bible with someone else here. And you know, If somebody brought you to church today, I'd love to... If they don't ask you, ask them, hey, can we get together and read the Bible like he was talking about? Uh, Because we we have some series that are designed to kind of be topical, and and, and they're at your own pace. They're kind of wherever you are in your own Christian walk, but they're designed to kind of help you get from wherever you are now to the next step. Because we were designed to have newness. Again, as I mentioned, there's nothing like new. And the Christian life is supposed to be one where you're continually reaching new places, and God is doing new things in your life. And I want to show you a a few scriptures on the screen here, and then uh, we're going to have Uh, elaine uh, johnson come and share a little bit of her story with us but um these are some old testament passages and then new testament passages in the way that you see these uh this kind of continual idea lamentations three the passage that sean read at the beginning of our worship time says god's mercies are new every morning there's something about a relationship with god that's meant to be new every morning it never gets old it should be sustaining and fulfilling and bring continual newness. second uh, Corinthians says inwardly we are renewed day by day if Christianity isn't like that for you uh, then then it, you're not doing it the way God designed it you're not really following Jesus the way that you see in the scriptures because if you do you will, you will experience as I promise you you will experience newness of life and, and, and transformation and it's so rewarding it's so fulfilling it's not that you don't have challenges and Hardships and heartbreak and all that. But God helps you through all that and you can keep getting renewed. And it's, it's really awesome. Uh, in Isaiah 50, uh, 43, again, that passage, uh, I mean, that, that book that I mentioned in the Old Testament. Isaiah says, uh, quotes God as saying, see, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? He says, I'm making streams in the wasteland, in the desert. And uh, that is, has a parallel in the last book of the Bible, in the New Testament, Revelation 21 uh, God says, "See, I am making everything new. There's nothing like new." And so, I want to invite you to to ask God to to work something new in your life today. Make a decision. I want I want to I want to call on you, God, to do something new in my life. And uh, I'm going to say a prayer for that as as uh, Elaine makes her way up here. Elaine is one of the deacons in the church. She and her husband serve in a lot of different ways. Uh, Calvin Johnson, and uh, they live right around the corner in Palos Verdes and been here a long time and, um, but sometimes it helps to just hear a, a story someone else's testimony so she's going to share a little bit and then I'll come back and pray for communion uh, and I'll pray for that newness of life that I mentioned
0: I want to share a, a little bit about my life as a Christian I am evidence of the resurrected life excuse me 31 years ago Calvin and I lived in Boston with our three kids he was a fourth-year resident at Harvard Medical School and I had recently finished a master's degree at Harvard and was offered the job as Dean of the Boston Architectural College during this transition between school and career we met a couple who studied the Bible with us although I heard the words of the Bible all my life in church and loved God I neither realized the significance of adhering to the word nor knew the power and hope that the word of god would bring to my life after studying every single week for almost a year i was considering baptism at that time calvin confessed infidelity to me i was shocked and angry about his betrayal and deceit something about it sent me to the bible the next day and i read this reread the story of the crucifixion The part about Jesus' death that touches me the most is that he refused to take gall when it was offered with wine during one of his most painful times because it would make him insensible to the pain. This is most impressive to me because he knew me. He knew that I would quit. He knew that I would not regard the Bible the way it should be. I would kind of make fun of his death because he wouldn't feel it he would have been anesthetized and he felt every bit of it he felt the betrayal he felt the pain and the beating and he certainly felt the death and I understood by rereading that he suffered and died horribly for me I was hurt but until I was sinned against I didn't see my own sin the day after reading the cross and considering how much I had hurt Jesus Things changed. I was forced to look at my own life. My Harvard degree came at a cost. Everything was about success. My achievements, victories, and accolades were most important. Anything in the way, including two pregnancies, were done away with. I had been immoral since high school. I was making all my own rules for life with no regard for God's ways. All of my choices were made without even thinking about God. I severed any connection to Him that I had grown up with. I cared deeply for our kids, but never had a thought of raising them as Christian. I was full of sin, felt really hopeless, and completely apart from Jesus. I saw that there was no comparison between His betrayal, suffering, and death, and my minor hurt comparatively. It was personal. He died for me. I was eager to respond that night, October 20, 1988. I was baptized and have never turned away. So of course, everything is perfect. My marriage is profoundly wonderful all the time. You know Calvin. (laughs) My kids are brilliant and good, and I never have any pain. (laughs) Hello, kitty. Romans 6 4 reads just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father we too may live a new life the new life for Jesus meant that he was raised from the dead into heaven the new life for me means facing challenges with hope by following God's word not my feelings several years ago I was devastated by an illness of our youngest son During his junior year of high school, he was stricken with significant brain illness. We weren't sure how we would get through it. We were frightened about many things, including the numbers of young people who take their lives when they suffer this way. We witnessed his pain every day for years, including physical reactions, like writhing on the floor in anguish. I wasn't asking why, but I remember thinking Thank God that even though we don't know what to do, no one else had experienced this before us, Calvin and I were finally united as partners going through this. And thank God there's a purpose in it. My faith grew a lot. My prayer life was radically changed. It was the first time I really understood that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I was smart enough to know that going through this... Since then, Calvin and I pray together for our children to be close to God and to become followers of Christ. I didn't want to share my health challenges with you today because so many of yours are way worse than mine. Calvin and I pray together every single morning, usually at 4.30, and many of your names are included. Praying for you every day and sitting with many of you has helped me to consider my own suffering and put it in perspective with prayers of thanks. I hate that my melanoma forces me to have hour-long exams every three months that always include biopsies and burns and then waiting weeks for the results, but I've trained myself to pray thank you, God, for the excellent care that I get. I ask a few friends to pray, and I repeat thank you, God, that I finally have some understanding of others in pain. Thanks is God's language. Gratitude is what he hears among my many other asks of the day. I have degenerative disc disease that worsens every year. I suffer with various levels of pain every day. I'm seeing a physician who advises surgery when I'm ready and a specialist who burns the nerve endings, I pray a lot. Dear God, thank you that it's not life-threatening. Thank you that I have Calvin's love, help and understanding, that my kids are sweet and attentive and that I have friends who care. Thank you that all your promises are yes. I may not get my choice of the outcome but God is in it and with God there's always hope. A couple times a week I walk in the sand at the beach because I can't run nor walk anymore on hard surfaces. I pray a lot during these walks. For a whole year I thanked God every time the waves broke. I am comforted by repeating, I am not alone. I am not alone. He will go before me and he will never leave me. I become hopeful again when I chant, Holy Spirit, come flood this place. God is what my heart longs for. The scripture that expresses the reason for my hope as a Christian and is my prayer for you today. Ephesians 1, verses 18 through 20. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. Living a resurrected life means access to that power every day and gives me the best hope p- possible.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Elaine for sharing. appreciate your vulnerability and, uh, and your friendship. Uh, let's pray for communion as we uh, remember together Jesus' body and blood given for us. God, thank you that we could uh, gather here to uh, remember Jesus' body and blood given for us. Uh, thank you for the uh, sacrifice that was paid for our sins on the cross. and uh, Thank you for uh, the way that we can see Jesus reflected in one another. And I pray that you would do a new thing in each one of our lives uh, here as we leave this place today. I pray that each one of us would uh, would, would call on you to do that in, in our walk with you. I bless this time of meditation and reflection as we just thank you for uh, your body and blood. And we recognize what Jesus did for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.